Welcome back to another episode of In the Clinch. Uh, I'm your. <laughs> oh, boy. oh boy! I'm your. Uh, I'm one. I'm one half of this podcast. John Cox, my other half, the international man of mystery, Teddy Bender. Say hi to people, Theo. What's up, guys? What's up? Oh, what's so funny? I don't understand. I'm not gonna explain it. I'm not gonna go into it. <laughs> Keep going. Oh boy! All right, kind of a sh- fucking. What, what do you know? Another bad fight night. I mean, it is what it is. You know, <laughs> some highlights from it that are okay. Uh, main event sucked. It is what it is. Uh, but we have stuff to talk about. We had a lot of questions too, which is good. We haven't had a lot of questions recently, so we'll take that. Um, do you want to skip this first? No, nah, I guess we should just talk about it whatever. Because this other shit I want to talk about on the card. Uh, Aspen Ladd is not really her, but her corner is getting criticism for the way that they were interacting with her during the fight, uh, during the main event this weekend. Uh, it looked like she wasn't really following the game plan that they had put in place, um, kind of ignoring the coaches. And one of her coaches kind of got a little animated, yelling at her, blah, 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 all this stuff. There's a lot of backlash on Twitter about, and really just any social media, how could you treat the fighter this way, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I think it's just like this is fighting, and fighting is like as intense as a sport can get. So you're gonna have intense moments between coaches and fighters. I I, I didn't really see anything to it. I don't know. What were your thoughts on it? I thought it was really blown out of proportion, man. It just felt like a non-story. And I saw a lot of people online saying like this fight night was so awful. This is the only thing people can remember. So this is the only reason why we're talking about it. And it kind of feels that way, like. On the night, there was a lot of people who were saying, oh, this is ridiculous. How could you treat your fighter this way? And then it felt like the day after, everyone kind of just realized how stupid this whole thing was, and they just kind of got over it. Um, you know, like, we're, you got to remember, like, we're in a sport where people are going to be, like, beating the piss out of each other, and, like, it's, it's a violent sport by nature, and we're really going to get, like, upset about a coach being harsh to his fighter and giving harsh criticism. Like, it's just... It seems like a non-story to me, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I, <clears throat> excuse me. I just was like, it's the same thing you see when you look at like a, um, like a football coach freaking out on one of his guys. It's right. Like, if you never played, this happens or, in like, sports. Yeah, it's just, it, it's just you also don't know the inner dynamics of that fighter and that coach or that player and that coach. Like maybe this is how they want to be coached. This is how they need to be coached to snap out of whatever they're doing wrong. Um, I don't know. Like you said, I think it was kind of a non-story that got blown out of proportion. Right. But also, I think that's the most important part is that we don't know the relationship between Aspen Ladd and her coach. Like, you know, I've had different coaches throughout my years playing different kinds of sports that have been nicer and some have been meaner. Some try to be your friend. Some try to really push you and give you harsh criticism and put you over the edge. And also, if you remember, there was another clip that was circulating after this fight where Aspen Ladd was you know, down in a fight uh, against Yana Kuts. Oh God, I can't remember her name. Oh, Yana Kunitskaya. Yeah. Um, and so the same coach when the corner was like, you need to come out fired, blah, blah, blah. Like same thing, like being really harsh on her. And she came out and like finished this girl within a minute. Like it was, right. it, it's obvious that like, obviously Aspen Ladd kind of prefers his treatment. And, like this is what is best for her to respond in, in the heat of the moment. Um, so I, yeah, it was just a non-story to me. I didn't really find any substance to it at all. I'll tell you what is in the non-story, though. Jim Uh-oh. Miller. How about that? How about Jim that Miller, shit? 38 years old, getting the knockout, possibly his last UFC fight ever. Um, what a fucking uh, unbelievable career for Jim Miller. 33-16-0 with one no contest. Um, just incredible. An incredible career. If it is over, 
Um, there's, I mean, anything that can be said about Jim Miller has already been said. But, I mean, 38 years old, knocking a guy out. Um, we were just digging into it before. He started his career at UFC Fight Night 16, Fight for the Troops, on December 10th, 2008. That was his first fight. And his most recent fight, UFC Fight Night, Ladder versus Dumont, Saturday, October 16th, 2021. So, just, I mean, a ridiculous, ridiculous career. Um, what is that? 10, 13 years? Yeah, 13 years in the UFC, right? Am I doing that math right? Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, dude, I remember seeing, I, I got the update on my phone, and I was like, like, I knew he was fighting, but I was like, you got a knockout? Like, what the fuck happened here? And I went back and looked, and I was like, maybe he just, like, kind of got him down, TKO, ground and pound. But it, no. I mean, that was a flush left-hand knockout. Like, textbook couldn't have been done better. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? You want to hear some great stats on Jim Miller? I'd love to. He holds – he has the most fights in UFC history with 38. The second most wins in the UFC at 22. He's got the most fights in the lightweight division with 34, and he's also got 20 lightweight wins, which is the most in UFC history for that division. That comes to you via BT Sport UFC's coverage. Nice. Uh, Jim Miller's fought at UFC 100. He also fought at UFC 200, and his plan is to go until UFC 300. There's a lot of talk before this event happening that um, he was going to get cut by the UFC, regardless of the outcome. With a performance like that, man, the records that this guy holds – it's hard not to keep Jim Miller around, right? I mean, we've seen them cut guys before, even when they maybe did deserve to just because the money didn't make sense. But I don't think yeah. that Jim Miller is making an egregious amount of money. Um, and if anything like that, uh, the way that he took care of uh, Gonzalez in this fight, who was, by the way, no slouch. He was on the up and coming. He was a legit prospect. I, I think that you keep this guy around, man. I think you let him try to go with 300. Yeah, I mean, and even if you do cut him, it's just not, we've seen guys come back before. And, I mean, look at Nick Diaz. I don't know if he was ever cut, really, from the UFC, but he'd be gone for six years, comes back and fights. Like, it's not totally out of the realm of possibility that even if you want to throw him on the prelims or something, you have Jim Miller fighting at UFC 100, 200, and 300. That's an incredible story, you know? Right. And also, um, for what it's worth, Jim Miller has always had a great relationship with the UFC. Like, no hiccups with really right. that relationship whatsoever, as far as we know, as far as the public eye. Um, another thing that I think is going to help keep him around that Dana White loves is that he's weighed in for 37 bouts and missed weight zero times. So yeah, that's just, I mean, that's a consummate professional. Like it's just, a, you know, the, the, the very definition of the word it's um, yeah. I mean, like I said, anything that's been, can be said about Jim Miller already has been said. Also Andre Olowski getting a win too. Another fucking UFC legend. 32-20-0 with two no contests now in his career. Um, his first fight in the UFC dates all the way back to, I believe, 2000, dude. So 21 years. Yeah, 2000. November 17th, 2000, UFC 28 versus Aaron Brink. That was his first UFC fight. Now 2021. 21 years in the business, man. I mean, it's somehow still getting – actually, he's had a little bit of a win streak here. Two wins in a row. His last loss coming to Tom Aspinall, who's a big heavyweight up-and-comer right now. Um, I mean, dude, he's terrifying. Andre Olowski. doesn't matter how old he is or when he's fighting you, where he's fighting you. It's, it's a scary guy. 21 years in the UFC. He's also got 21 wins in the UFC. Uh, that makes him the sole holder of fourth place all-time in UFC history. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's those are some of the cooler moments, I guess, from the card. Um, we got bigger stuff coming up we're kind of just muddling through the weeks here until we can get up to the good stuff which is coming very soon 
Uh, a headline that came out kind of recently, John Jones was banned from his uh, gym where he trains out of. Uh, so I guess on the surface, that looks as like John Jones isn't allowed to work out anymore. He's never going to fucking fight again. Uh, that's not the case. Do you, do you want to elaborate some more on that? Right. So John's been with the Jackson Winkle John gym uh, for essentially his whole UFC career. Um, and of course, in light of recent controversy and yet another slip up by John Jones, a big uh, narrative in the media was that, oh, is John Jones surrounded by yes men? I would say absolutely he is because time and time again, it seems like these people have no accountability for him. But that changes because now recently this past week, John Winklejohn, uh, obviously the head coach and owner of that gym, comes out and says John Jones will not be allowed um, to train here so long as I am the owner, blah, blah, blah. Says that until he changes his ways and comes back and stops drinking, which is a huge point. I'm glad yep. that he said that. Yes. Um, as, as so long as he stops drinking, he can come back. But as of, as of right now, no, he's not allowed to train here. Um, and he also didn't mention that he thinks he has yes men around him, which is good. I, I'm, I think that people really just need to be honest with John Jones that are around him. And you see this a lot with high level celebrities. People like will just kind of ignore the flaws in their character because, you know, they're famous and they want to be around them. They want to make money off them, too. That's a sad reality in combat sports with these managers and things like that. Um, so it's good news if you're an MMA fan, if you're a John Jones fan, to see that people around him are holding him accountable, and he's hopefully, hopefully going to improve. But I think a big misconception with this story was that John wasn't going to be able to train at all or train with any of these coaches. It's very important to distinguish. He's still training with all of the coaches from that gym except Mike Um, He is the only one who's removed himself, and while John cannot train in that gym in the building – He's having his own sessions at his uh, residence because he has a full gym there uh, and all those other coaches are still coming to train with him. So not uh, too big of a change necessarily in terms of John's like training wise, but it's, it's a big step uh, that the people around him needed to make. Excuse me. Yeah, I totally agree that I think it's more like what's a big deal for him. Like you, you hit it around right the head there is that, it's the people around him, I think, that unfortunately need to get a little more involved now, which obviously you got to say, like, this guy's got to hold himself accountable sometimes, but it seems that it's not working. It hasn't worked in the past. Um, and it, I think sobriety is going to be a huge deal for this. He's got to get sober. He's got to stay sober. Um, and then, I mean, you're really putting in jeopardy uh, – for not only himself, but for the company, I mean, massive fights that could be happening. Um, his career, I think he's well off already. He's made plenty of money. Um, he's cemented himself uh, in his legacy of it, within the cage of just how good he is, one of the greatest of all time. Um, but it, it's a lot of the stuff outside of the cage that's really tarnished that legacy of how people view him and I mean, if you don't know much about the sport, maybe you just see the headlines. You're going to judge the book by its cover, and it's like he doesn't seem like the 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 character of a what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to call him a bad guy, but like you, you know, it, it's it just comes off as that he's troubled. And if he wasn't so troubled, it's where could his career be if none of this stuff had happened? I mean, I, I think he's undisputably the greatest of all time. If all this stuff outside the cage isn't happening, and even some of the stuff inside the cage with the steroid use and everything like that, um, so he's still young. We'll see if he can sober up and kind of get a second wind here to his career. That uh, I, I, I'm just excited to see that if he can sober up and he 
listens to the people that are around him that want him to do good. I mean, how much better could he get? Because we, I mean, he's already as good as it gets as far as I'm concerned, but maybe he can get even better if he changes his ways. Um, and I think everyone still wants to see that heavyweight fight versus Francis. So, I mean, it's in serious jeopardy here if he can't figure out what's going on, you know? Yeah. I, I Honestly, at this point, I, I just want to see him make improvements in his own life before I can even think about this guy stepping back in the cage. You know, I don't know, John. I don't know him personally. I've never met him. Um so I can't speak on his character, but it seems like a guy who's constantly making these same similar mistakes, constantly being in trouble with the law, substance problems. It seems like there's a lot more to unfold behind that guy. So I, I hope he gets better, honestly, for him and his family. Yeah, I do too. Um, so now we're going to move on to something uh, kind of interesting, and I'm struggling here, unfortunately, to find the quote. But uh, Kobe Covington recently came out with a quote about his fight versus Kamara Usman. Um, I don't have the exact quote in front of me right now, but I can paraphrase basically what it was. It was essentially Kobe was saying that Kamara Usman didn't want this fight. Um, the UFC forced him to get to take this fight. None of his coaches wanted this fight. He didn't want this fight. The UFC forced him to take this fight or else they're going to strip him. Uh, we were talking about this before the podcast. We decided to stop and kind of save it for when we were recording. And you were saying that you didn't agree with it at all. You think that this is bullshit um maybe not exactly how you said it but you don't think what he's saying is accurate i was saying maybe not all of it is accurate i don't think the ufc was going to strip him of his title if he didn't take the colby fight i think that's kind of ludicrous but part of me does think that this is not a fight that kamar Usman wants to take necessarily not that he wouldn't take this fight obviously he has taken the fight um and not that he was dodging the fight but i I mean personally i think Kobe gave him the toughest test of his career as a champion thus far. And if Kobe's, if he didn't break Kobe's jaw in that fight, I think that Kobe wins that fight. So this is uh, definitely the toughest fight on the horizon for Kamara Usman. And I think that this is something that he was uh, dreading, I think is the right word. I- I'm curious what your thoughts on him are. It's, it's tricky, man. It's tricky because Kobe's coming out and saying one thing that's very, very, you know, it's it's very harsh yeah it's the way he says it is like he he said that the ufc is going to strip kamaru usman if he didn't want to take this fight with colby that's absolutely horseshit we you and i both know we were talking about this there is no fucking way they would strip the guy who's potentially gonna be fighter of the year pound for pound number one guy in the world they would never strip that guy he just fought in april when he knocked out masvidal on the feet and he had just fought like two months prior and knocked out Gilbert Burns on the feet. Like, what more could you ask from a champion? They would right. never strip him for that. Um, again, I'm not saying that they didn't say that. I think the UFC would be smart to they threaten that in negotiations. And it, it yeah. seems like due to their uh, history of business practices, that wouldn't be something out of the range of possibility. But in no way, shape, or form did they ever would they ever strip Kamar Usman for this. Um, number one. Number two, I think it's fair to say that Colby Covington is the toughest test for Kamar Usman. But man, if you if you think about it from the perspective of Kamaru won the first fight, and since then he's obviously gotten better, and we haven't seen a lot of improvement from Colby because he fought Tyron Woodley, which is hard to gauge how much better that Colby's been able to get off of important right. like that. Yep. We've seen improvements, especially in Kamaru Usman's striking game. So I don't see how like obviously it's a tough test for him, but I don't think that he'd be avoiding this fight at all, especially if we consider the fact that the UFC has said for a very long time that Colby's going to be next. Colby's going to be next. And their first fight was so good. There's a huge rivalry there. They're both perennial contenders. 
like it's it was inevitable so really what's the point in avoiding it right yeah uh, I have the exact quote here. Actually, I just found it. So this is quote Kobe Covington on the journey to getting the rematch with Kamara Usman. It wasn't supposed to happen. They did not want it to happen. His manager, they were refusing. They were trying to find every way in the book out of fighting this rematch. They didn't want the fight, man. The only reason they have to take this fight is because the UFC gave them no choice. They said, hey, you fight this guy or we just strip you, end quote. So, um, yeah, like, like we both said, I, I don't think they're going to strip him. I think that's crazy. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we've seen, I think, one of the biggest things that gets overlooked with Kamara Usman is how airtight his mentality is. I mean, there's nothing mm. that gets through to him. The guys talk shit to him constantly. They say they're going to do this. They say they're going to do that. Even in the Gilbert Burns fight, he gets fucking knocked down real early and comes back and just dominates the rest of the fight. I don't think there's any words that are going to get through to him. Um to rattle his cage really and even we've seen Kobe go back and forth and it seemed as though Kobe was getting much more frustrated with Kamara's responses because I think that he knows he can't really say anything to him he broke his jaw and then knocked him out so uh to retain the title in one of the most contentious UFC fights especially the build-up that we've seen in a very very long time um I would put it up there with Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor as far as going back and forth in the the uh, oh what's what's the word I'm looking for here like the the anticipation and the um, the tension and all hype. that stuff. Yeah, the hype and everything like that. The true, actual hatred for one another. I think it's right up there with Connor, um, Connor and Aldo. I don't I don't want to go as far as Connor and Khabib. I don't think it's anything's really going to come close to that. But uh, yeah, I think it's right up there as far as two guys not liking each other and really wanting to hurt each other and also displaying it in the ring. Obviously, Connor and Aldo did not go anywhere near what Colby and Usman did, but I, I don't know, man. I, I really think if you're Kamara Usman, you put this fight off as long as you possibly can because it's the hardest fight. Not that he's running away from a challenge or anything like that, but it's like this is going to be by far the biggest chance you have of losing your title. And I'm not even blaming him for it. I I, I would do the same thing. I mean, you you're going to take the fights as many fights as you can until this fight to get ready for this fight. I think this is the fight of all fights for Kamara Usman. And he wants to take as many before as he can to get ready, finite his skills. And it looks like that's what he's done thus far. So, uh, I, I mean, we've said it multiple times. John Haddock said the same thing. This is the fight we're looking forward to the most. Uh, me personally, this is the fight I'm most excited for this year. 100%. And also, I, I think we have to reiterate, the context in which this quote was said was with an ESPN interview to promote the fight. That's yeah. what he's doing at the end of the day. He's just promoting the fight. So we can't really take anything that he's saying seriously. And by the way, it's coming from fucking Colby Covington, who has admitted he puts he on a lies. persona. He said he does. He admitted it. <laughs> he like, never lied. He's never lied. But like, it's it's like I can't even like. How are we supposed to take this guy seriously with anything that he says in promotion? You know, like maybe if I told you in confidence that like he said it's behind stage or something, like then maybe it gets a little bit more credible. But like, no, if he's out in the public promoting a fight. Anything he says about Kamaru Usman just ain't like not credible. It's just the way, it's just the nature of how he is. I'm not saying it's a bad thing because there's a lot of people who will fall for the trap, who will believe it and become fans of Colby and say, oh, this Kamaru guy's ducking him or whatever. So it's smart on his half to do this, but it's just not true. And it's, it's a little bit frustrating. People don't understand and they don't appreciate the gimmick that Colby's doing. Because honestly, I'm not even mad at it. I think it's a great gimmick. I mean, dude, I, who sells a fight better than Colby Covington other than Connor? Chael Sonnen. 
I was gonna, dude. I was literally gonna say top three all time: Connor, Chael, and Colby. It's uh, whoa, I, wait, time out, time out, time out. We're putting Colby top three all time for selling the fight. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me think about it for a second. Okay. Say Connor, number thinking. one. Chael number two. Okay. Ah, uh, as far I'm just saying, as far as like enraging the masses and really getting people that want to see him get knocked out, I, I suppose maybe John Jones is up there. Uh, what about I, Ronda Rousey? See, it's yes and no because like Ronda was doing it out of skill and she did talk shit. And I think she just caught a wave of like the first woman in the UFC that's a real badass and like um, movie star. She's at the Connor level of surpassing the sport and going to superstardom that like completely. Um, she was bigger than Connor at the time for a right. little bit. She so, was yeah, than Connor. yeah, absolutely. So I think that was more of like. Um, yeah, okay, so I guess respectively, yes, she is selling the fight that way. I'm talking about pure shit talk, um, making you believe that they or not even making you believe that they could win, but just making you hate him like, like he's so fun to hate. Like, you just ever, and I think when you talk about uh, Colby Cummington, I don't want to say everybody because I think Henry Cejudo sort of right there, too, of like the guy you love to hate. But people know who Colby is that don't maybe necessarily watch the UFC or even MMA. Like, you've kind of just seen him or heard of him or something along the lines of that. It's like, oh, is that the fucking Trump UFC fighter guy? Yeah, I've heard of him. Um, exactly. Yeah, man. So I'm thinking, I think top three, I want to put him in the top three just out of uh, guys that can, let's put it this way, guys who can sell the fight with their words. Something like I think that. for committing to you the know, bit, a little committing asterisk. to the bit, I, I would yeah. put Colby top three. For the guys who had to put on a persona to sell a fight, yeah, I guess I can kind of agree with you on that. But I, I just like the thing with Colby when I, I said Chael right away because Chael, in my opinion, is just like the better of what Colby gangster. does. Like Chael was actually funny and like he was clever right. with the things very he did. Clever, and he yeah. wouldn't, yeah. he would very rarely go over the line, and it was obvious that like he was a <laughs> very, very. You had your fucking mind. He would go over the line yeah. all the time. No, 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 no. Dude, not, he would go like, to Brazil and tell them that he brought toothbrushes and soap and shit like that because they've never seen it before. <laughs> like, that okay. dude crossed the line, at least with the Brazilians. What I'm trying, he, he definitely did, especially with the whole Anderson buildup. He yeah. was like, he was into the Wanderlei shit. Listen to that stuff. It's insane, dude. I know. I know. He's going to go I into know. their house, cut the power, and like shoot them when they're better and like crazy shit. He's an American gangster. But it's also, it's also like those things aren't really like credible. Like people aren't like really taking that seriously. Like, I don't think they're actually yeah. like, I don't think anyone thinks so, Chael Sonnen's repelling into houses and stuff. But right. But the Chael was also kind of charming about it. And it was like, there right. was a, like a reason that like you could like kind of root for Chael. Like, he was almost like a likable bad guy. He was like an anti hero. Colby Covington, right. the way he does his shtick is just like lazy to me. It's like, Colby, like we get it. Like you're a really skilled fighter who doesn't have those entertaining fights or didn't in the first half of your career. Right. So you just started making fun of everybody and lashed onto the uh, MAGA persona and right. automatically got like half the country to be on your side just because of political things. Like it's just, it, right. it doesn't, it, but like it's lazy to me, man. And I don't if know. If it works, dude, if it doesn't, you know, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Right. Like, I yeah, think but it, it just went with it and it just took off. I mean, he just capitalized on something that was super polarizing. And like it just it just keeps working for him. Even now it still works for him. And Trump's not even in office anymore, you know? That's the difference between him and Shales. I think he's much more polarizing. Like I think more people could yeah, enjoy Shales and hate him at the same time. 
He's not but as I creative. think Colby, Colby's like, you love that guy, you hate him. And also, by the way, Colby's like, for someone who latched on to MAGA, I thought he would have blown up way more. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like there was a bunch of guys who, like, only when Colby fights do they kind of care. And, like, I don't think it really necessarily translates to huge pay-per-view sales either. Stroke, if you look at his career. Yeah. But it's, I, I think he's, like, kind of like a, a casual, like, I don't know. It's, it's no, he's not a draw by any sense. You don't think Colby's a draw? No, not not in the way that like like a top ten draw in the UFC. No, really, I think he is. Yeah, I if think he's well, very good like, at um. I think he's very good at making himself a draw, very close to a fight. You know what I mean? If you just look based off of statistics, it's like like if you look at like not just pay per view sales because obviously not everyone has the opportunity. And to be fair, Colby's only been the headliner of a pay per view a few times. Most recently, the the Kamara one did okay. Like their first fight did like maybe five hundred thousand buys but that's not anything to write home about. Right. Um, you know, if you just look at the, like the like YouTube video views when like they put out the official promos and like social media engagement and all these kinds of things that like, Colby's not as great as everyone gives him credit for. He's just really good in this small, like niche, like promotional, like the press conferences is good. And he's always just like picking fights with like random people across all divisions. Like he's always good at uh, keeping his name in the headlines, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a draw. I think there's two different things that people need to distinguish. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. I just think, like, he's just, he's like you said, he's not as creative as Shale or Connor, but he, um, he's just like, dude, I love to hate Colby Covington. I love Colby Covington because I just love how much he pisses. Like, I, I, this is just my personality. I just love people that, I love stirring the pot. I love people that stir the pot. I think it's fucking hilarious. Well, yeah, you're a stand-up comedian. Right. You it's can appreciate fucking, the humor. It's a great time to just, like, get under someone's skin. Um and like you know from a distance uh so <laughs> in colby's case i mean he's a fucking ufc fighter he can just talk shit and fuck you up if you have anything to say about it but uh it is it, just like he's so good at being like oh my god i fucking hate this guy but i i'm gonna watch every one of his fights because i want to see him get knocked out and then he fucking wins most of the time so then you're like god damn it dude like who's gonna beat this guy and it makes you root for kamara Usman even that much more if you're not a colby fan but back to your point, actually, of what you were saying, that he's maybe not a draw necessarily. I do know, like, a lot of people that are big Trump fans that are also UFC fans, and, like, none of their favorite fighters are Colby Covington, even though he's exactly. the guy. So I do wouldn't see it be so saying. obvious? What happened? Like, I don't know. It Wouldn't it be so obvious for him to be, like, their guy? Right. Instead, it's like, I guarantee it's, like, Jorge or Nate or somebody like that. Like, it's just... Connor, yeah. It, it's all, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's also frustrating when Colby, like, comes out and says, like, I'm doing a gimmick. Or like when someone asks him, he's like, "No, it's it's actually a facade that I'm putting on." Because like Chael or Connor would never say that. That's the right, whole but point. But it still never... works, which is weird. It you doesn't work the same. I don't. Know. It it works. It works, but like it doesn't work in the traditional way that like guys like us who watch hardcore want it to right, work. Right. And so that infuriates. I think actually the genius of Colby is that he's able to infuriate casuals and hardcores no matter right. what. I just and, like, like watch. He, he does. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. He's able to instigate people at every single level behind the scenes, like people who used to be at his gym fucking hate this guy. Guys who right. cover in the media, like they, they get headaches to this guy because he does everything wrong, but he somehow is getting the right answer, like wrong right, exactly. equation, right solution. And then casuals hate him because obviously he latches on, so half the country hates him. Um, you know, it's just it's one of those yeah, things, but I can I, just, I can appreciate what Colby's doing from yeah, the distance. Exactly. But I, I I like watching him like. Because if you peel back the curtain just a little bit, you'll see that 
anyone who talks about him, like most, or I shouldn't say anyone, but most people are like, he's a super nice guy and he's super humble. And he's like, this is all just an act. So all you have to do is just like look back a little bit, but people don't do it. They just see the MAGA hat and they freak the fuck out and they like absolutely hate him. And that's why I like watching because I'm like, it's very interesting to see that dynamic play out where it's like, this guy is, if you just do a little research, you'll see that this is clearly an act. And like, I think that's what makes it that much funnier where I'm like, like, dude, come out to Kurt Angle's song. It's like, it's just, it's just all perfect the way he does it. It's just fucking right. perfect. I love that. I love every second of it. It's, it's unbelievable. And just seeing everybody boom and shit. And then he goes out and he just whoops ass. And you're like, dude, this yes. guy, like, he's just doing it right. Like, he's doing everything right, even though he's, in essence, doing everything wrong. That's the best part is that he's an exceptional fighter. His right. skills are undeniable. So his biggest haters have to swallow their words every single time this guy fights. Um, and that adds to it. That's to get people even more fucking upset. Um, I think Colby Cullington, what he's really, really good at is he understands he's the entertainer. Uh, there's a lot of yeah. guys who come in the sport and are just like, Oh, I'm here to fight. Blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. You know, that's, that's what they do. That's their personality. But Colby understands that like he has a rare opportunity in the sport to uh, latch or to kind of captivate the audience in a way that people don't have the opportunity to in other sports. And he really, really leans into the heel because he doesn't care whether you love him or you hate him as long as you're paying attention. You know, that's an old saying in combat sports, but Colby Cumpton's the example of that, man. And uh, yeah. he does make it more exciting, I have to admit. Yeah, and he dominates. And he also, so, I mean, you got to think of someone like this. Think about like Khabib, right? Khabib just dominates, right? Just dominates in malls like we've never seen, but he couldn't sell fucking water to a whale. Like it's, it's like <laughs> he, he, he just doesn't sell the fight. I mean, Connor sold that entire yeah. fight when they fought. You know what I'm saying? All of his fights, he's just like, Granted, he is foreign and there's a language barrier and all that different stuff. And he sells the fight from his home in, uh, in Russia and everything like that. But that just comes with the, uh, the nationalism of rooting for a guy from your country or whatever. So you don't really need to necessarily sell it to them because they're already rooting for you because they're, you're where you're, they're from where you are from. Um, so like this guy goes out, dominates, and also sells the shit out of a fight in the same way that like... Um, like, I don't think Kamaru Usman is, like, he's super dominant, but he doesn't sell a fight super well either. He sells it, right. he, he, he does it with his performance, you know, he, he goes out there and lets his fucking, his work of art talk for himself or whatever, he lets all that stuff, like, his skills talk for him. Um, but, like, he's not a super, um, he's not a headline guy, you know what I mean? Like, he's not, he's not, you don't have the crazy quotes from Kamaru, you don't have the shit talk uh, and stuff like that. He just goes out there, he's humble, he says, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna beat this guy's ass goes out and then he does it um but what i do like about kamara it seems that like like when you go back to the interview uh maybe it was i don't even remember when it was it was within the last two years i believe maybe a little bit past two years of him and colby going back and forth and colby's like i'm gonna beat your ass or whatever he's like i beat your ass blah 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 and kamara's just like i broke your face like he just keeps yeah. saying it over and then colby just starts freaking out and he's like freaking fucking out kill you like all this stuff like it's like just to see someone too to like get under Colby's skin where it seems like the guy that's always getting under people's skin is all of a sudden agitated because he knows there's nothing he can say to Kamara Usman because Kamara Usman did break his face and then knock him out. Uh, I mean, dude, I say dude, it? What is in that? that moment, Colby came off as a bit of a snowflake. Bit of a snowflake, dude. Bit of a snowflake. Bit of a snowflake. Marty fake newsman, dude. How funny is Marty <laughs> fake newsman? That is the funniest it's so, thing. It's so, it's so funny, dumb. Dude. But it's, it's so like, he funny. keeps saying it, and it's hilarious. It's, it's so, so funny. funny it's so dude. dumb. It's yeah, exactly. It's just like, 
Oh my dude, the first time I heard that Marty fake newsman, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me! Like, that's so perfect. Like, it, it really is like so perfect. Like, he just he just nails it, dude. He nails it every single time. Like, it's like, funny because everyone who's like going against Kamaru is always trying to call him Marty to piss him off because that was what he used to go by. Um, yeah, Marty you know, was it was like Marty some, from Arkansas or something. Marty from Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah. That's like when he first came over here and he was like going to high school wrestling and his coach oh, was like, that what's was your name? Best, dude. That was the best. He's like, I'm going to call you Marty. Like it's not even yeah. close to Kamaru at all. Right. And so now it's, 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 it's like a good thing for him to throw in there to be like, Oh, Marty fake newsman. Cause it's just different yeah. for everyone else. And that's what he, Colby does the best. He sticks out. Side note dude, that, that clip of him and Ben Askren when he's like, I want to sit next to Marty. And then everyone, like, he just Kamaru freaks out on him and he gets in the face. And he's like, I don't under Cause he genuinely didn't know who Kamaru is. He's like, I've only known him as Marty. He's like, I don't understand why he's so mad. Like that's his fucking name. And then yeah, like, yeah, his name's Kamaro and there are Kamaro. And he's like, Oh my bad. Like, <laughs> like Ben, Ben and Kamaro trained together at the Olympic right. training center for wrestling. And the, everyone there just called him Marty. Cause it, it just right. stuck. And so he, he calls him Marty. Nebraska. He gets all pissed. He's like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Kamaro's like, what do you uh, say to me? He's like, yeah. Marty, that's your name. <laughs> yeah. It's the best. Dude. It's good. Oh, uh, yeah. dude. All right. I miss uh, Ben Askren, bro. He was I do. Fun. I miss Ben Askren, too. I, well, partially. Now I look at his Twitter and it's just all politics and Bitcoin. I'm like, oh, fuck, dude. Like, why? Shut up. He but, needs to fight. That's his problem. All right. Fucking good luck, dude. He's just a hip to an 80 <laughs> year old. I'm not saying he should come back. I'm just saying yeah. it was fun when he was here. It was Even fun he, when he was here. He had a tough run. Um, I think the UFC still came out of the better end of the deal when they traded him for Demetrius Johnson. So. Oh, and dude, when he know. beat Robbie or whatever, like, that was just so, like, I remember watching that and been like, oh, like you did not beat my, like, oh, I was like, you got away with that so bad. I was like, so many people are going to think this guy is so much better than he really is. Like, but I mean, he was nasty when they signed him. Like, he really was nasty. Like, in his prime, he was, he was really like, good, but yeah, he was like untouchable in his prime, literally untouchable. Yeah. And the crazy part about that is that you know how bad his striking is. So that just speaks to how good his wrestling was that he right. really didn't yeah. even bother training striking a day in his fucking life. And it was just like, all I need to do is wrestle these people. They don't, have, they can't stop me. And, but when he was in his prime and he didn't have the, the hip problem, he really was unstoppable. So I wish we got to see that version of Askren in the UFC. Um, but regardless, if we didn't have a guy like Askren come in, then there is no Jorge Masvidal flying knee five second knockout. Right. We don't have that guy to a huge star either. So it really wasn't the worst thing. Um, plus, he got to fight Jake Paul, which he made a lot of money, embarrassed himself. But, you yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, fucking million-dollar knockout. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Or he, and he obviously is the guy who, like, doesn't care. Because yeah. for years, he's been seeing the, the flying knee in his replies to every single tweet. And so right. now it's like, what, Jake Paul knocks me out? Like, I don't care. Right, exactly. Like, why would you give a shit? That's a guy who, like, deals with the loss super well. Ronda Rousey should take some notes. <laughs> <laughs> um anyways uh so now we're gonna move on we got some questions here we got a couple of a, a few questions actually um first question here theo this is a question for theo was it nerve-wracking speaking at such a big event when you asked the infamous connor question uh yeah it, it was in short yeah but like also not really at the same time it's it's kind of a weird dynamic so I always, whenever I like, I, I think about this, I always go back to Jacksonville. It was the first event I did in April. And we were sitting in the media room, like getting ready for the fighters to come in. There's going to be like 10 or 12 fighters to come through and just talk for like 10 or 20 minutes each. Um, so the first guy that came in was Anthony Smith. And I remember I was like sitting back waiting. Like, people were asking questions and I'm just like waiting for my opportunity because I don't want to like jump in too early because it's my first time. I don't want to like overstep, you know? Um, 
So when it's finally my chance, I fumble my words and I, I stutter and I go, hold on, excuse me. I have to gather myself and then I can't get the fucking microphone to work. Like the, there was a weird button on the microphone. So I kept fumbling that. And it was just a shit show. My first question ever. And then Anthony Smith kind of like at the end of my question, he was like, that microphone's kicking your ass, huh? And he just like shared a laugh. And like right, that right. one moment, I remember like heading into that, I was freaking out. Like my heart was pumping the whole time. And then after that, it was fine. And then we had like, like I said, like 12 or 15 guys come in afterwards and everything was fine. Like it was just, you need that kind of one moment. And then again, yeah. in Vegas, it was, it was a little bit of a rough start, nothing like that, but like, it was still like nerve wracking when the first guy came in. And then once you get in a groove, man, when you're asking these guys questions, or at least this is my experience, it's just easy. It's not nervous anymore. It's just normal. Um, but what was different was I didn't get the opportunity ever before I got to Vegas to ask a question at a press conference with fans in it which is a whole nother dynamic I was not even like considering. So I'm sitting in my chair waiting for the press conference to start because it's like, obviously like we're an hour late, I think at this point, because Connor is always late. Um, it is what it is. That's the things you have to deal with. Um, and the whole time saying, I'm like, Holy shit. Like these guys, like for an hour have filled the stadium. Nothing's happening. No one's on stage or anything, but they're fucking going loud, like crazy the whole time. And I was like, I can only imagine what's going to happen when Connor and Dustin get on stage and like start like almost fighting. And it turns out that don't, that did happen. Um, like, and sure enough, the place fucking blew up. And so if you watch the video of me asking the question, you can't really tell how loud the crowd is. And I've always said this, you know, from being there in person, like the camera does not do it justice. Like you can barely yeah. even hear anything going on there. Um, and that's why Dustin had to ask me to repeat my question. Cause you literally can't hear anything. Um, that was really the one thing that made me nervous more than anything, not talking to Dustin or Connor or Dana or any of those guys was just like the extra crowd noise that was in there. So when I was, when I go up to ask the question, like I could feel like my heart fucking beating out of my chest. Cause I'm like, if I mess up now, like there's a whole crowd of people who are going to like make fun of me and heckle me and shit. So that was the one thing that made me nervous. But once the, um, once I asked the first question to Connor that Dustin obviously had the McGregor sleep comment for, Yep. Um, once I got through that, I was like, this is fine. Like, I'm not even like, cause I was a little worried that like, I, I had all these eyes on me, but I realized after that, like, they're not here for me. They're here to see Connor and Dustin. They don't give a shit who this kid is on the Jumbotron for a few seconds. So, um, to answer the question, yes, a little bit, especially when I was asking the question, but after that, it was like, oh, this is easy. You know? Yeah. That kind of reminds me of like, um, my cousin, when I was like a kid playing football back in like third, fourth grade. He would always tell me, he's like, once you get that first hard hit out of the way, like you're afraid to get hit. Once you get that first big hit out of the way, it's like, you're all set. So it's like, I feel like that's yeah. what it was like with Anthony Smith. Oh yeah, definitely, man. Like literally everything that I thought could go wrong with that first question uh, with Anthony Smith did go wrong. I fucked up. I some of my words. I couldn't even get the fucking microphone to work. So I had to ask him one of my questions, just like screaming at him across the room. Um, hmm. You know, like, and it's also like, at the end of it, I realized it really wasn't a big deal. And you can honestly go find this online in case anyone's wondering. Uh, just look up like UFC 261 media scrum, Anthony Smith, for, uh, Anthony Smith. And um, I'm kind of towards the end of the video, but it's, it's really just one of those things. Like once you get through, you're like, oh, it really wasn't that bad. I can just move on, brush it yeah. off. And yeah, it wasn't that bad. Sweet. Uh, that's a nice little insight to uh, the media and what these guys go through. It's almost as bad as fighting right up there oh, don't even say that <laughs> you're gonna get pissed at me just because you said that <laughs> your it's not true john cox's thoughts do not echo my percent true kobe i mean 
You told me to say that before we recorded. Um, second question now. Jorge Masvidal versus Leon Edwards is official. Who wins that fight? Um, you know what, Theo, I'll let you take the, the first crack at this since I usually ramble for hours. All right. Well, I think if we're looking at this fight objectively, it's three rounds that should favor Masvidal because theoretically Leon Edwards has better cardio, although we haven't been able to see Masvidal Mm-hmm. Uh, really give like give the chance to showcase that over five rounds recently. Uh, yep. Immediately, I think of the first Usman fight, but that was on short notice and all that, so you really can't take that at face value. Um, Jorge is a very, very dangerous and powerful boxer, so he's always going to be in this fight. I, I don't know if Leon Edwards... I don't know. It's, it's a tough fight, man. It's really a toss-up. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people are very, very quick to pick Leon, and I think you know, gun to my head, I, I do the same, but you can't count on Masvidal on this one, man. He's right. super dangerous at all times on the feet. I, I'm interested to see how this fight plays out in the clinch because I think a lot of Masvidal's best work and Leon's best work is done against the cage, grinding guys out and throwing yeah. elbows, yeah. especially Leon. Leon's really good throwing elbows against the cage. Um, I'd be I'd be hesitant to say that Masvidal should win those exchanges because I think Leon's kind of made his bread and butter off doing that more than Masvidal. Um but also, man, like if, if you go back and watch that Nate Diaz fight, and I'm not going to bring up the point that Leon got hurt at the end because I think it's kind of overstated and people are kind of taking that as more than it should be. But like there's spots in there where he gets hit where I'm like, damn, I thought Leon would be able to avoid that. And that might be just because right. Nate Diaz is lanky and he's kind of an awkward boxing style. Very like unorthodox, with. yeah. Right, but I think that if, if Nate Diaz can hit the mark that much, I think Jorge can. And I think when Jorge hits you, it's a lot harder than Nate Diaz. Yep. Um, so I think that Leon maybe is going to have to adjust to that early in the fight, but he should be able to control the distance and, and get the win. I think it's a unanimous decision for Leon Edwards. <clears throat> yeah, I, I actually, I think, um, well, I'm just saying my hope, but I guess uh, it, it being a three round fight, I think is a huge deal because obviously Jorge Masvidal, we know is a very explosive fighter. I think that he's right. not going to have to really wait and feel Leon out for as long and that he won't have as much time to do so. So I think he's going to start going with his flashy um, explosive stuff right out of the gate. I don't think there'll be much feeling each other out, uh, at least from Jorge's side. I think he's going to go straight at him and kind of try to establish himself and really put it on Leon early. Um, I'd say gun to my head. I'd probably take Leon by decision as well. But if you want my yeah. bold prediction, I think that me – I think that Jorge can get it done by TKO as well. Uh, I think I, if you're a betting man, Jorge by knockout's good money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, to your point, too, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see their exchanges um, in the clinch and against the cage and uh, stuff like that, where the movie tie is going to come in. Um, and really, I think the most interesting part of this fight is going to be what Jorge Monsignor's chin looks like. Can he take these shots from Leon Edwards still? If they go to the clinch and he's landing big elbows and stuff like that, is his chin going to hold up? Uh, my gut reaction says yes, that it, 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 Kamaru Usman's just a different kind of guy. He hits harder than most people do, especially for his size. So I think not a freak knockout, but I think it's just like Hori can take that punch from most people in the division, but Kamaru's just different. So knee-jerk reaction, Leon by decision, but like you said, if you're a betting man, I don't think betting on Jorge by KO is bad money. Yeah, and also, I want to reiterate, 
these last two fights that Jorge's had against uh, Usman, first one on very short notice, of course. Um, and, and then the second one, there was a lot made of it. You know, can Jorge wrestle? And he said in his game plan that he expected to wrestle a lot. So it seems like in these last two fights, Jorge's focused more so than ever on taking his time and being patient, which is mm-hmm. the exact opposite of mm-hmm. what this whole 2019 resurgence for Jorge was all about. In 2019, he was like, I'm just going to go out there and start trying to knock people out no matter what. Like, don't try to win rounds. Don't try to win on point fighting. Don't try to go the distance. Get in there, be as aggressive as possible, and knock people flat out because he has the ability to do that. Um, In the Usman fight, I'm not saying he took the wrong approach. I'm saying he kind of got away from what made us Jorge Masvidal fans in 2019 and what made him so world famous. Um, You know, his abilities within the cage are very, very good if you go for a specific game plan. And I think that he got away from that game plan a little bit in his last two fights. Against Leon Edwards in a three-round fight, there is no way that he's going to be out there trying to keep going the distance and right. uh, not be yeah. as aggressive as he I, could be. So I think that if this is if he's ever going to knock a guy out, it's in a situation like this. But yeah, he's exactly. running into a really tough guy. I think that's a bad idea if you're going to try to take your time with Leon Edwards because I think he's going to he's going to hit you slip and rip, get you with nice combos. I think he's a safe fighter, uh, somewhat conservative. So I think that if you're going to try to beat Leon Edwards, I think you got to be right in his face, pressure him. We saw what Nate Diaz did right. uh, towards the end of the fight. He couldn't really deal with the pressure as well. Uh, if you're up in his face, I, it, it's similar to like a blitz on a, a mobile quarterback. You know, it's like if you want to get to him, um, you got to just hammer the line. You got to blitz stuff like that. It's the same thing, I think, for this fight. I think you got to go right at him. you got to show him what's up real quick. Uh, don't use all your stuff in the early rounds, but just stay right on him. And obviously, there's real beef here, too, because of that whole backstage incident. So I, I don't think that these guys like each other. I think they've been kind of chomping at the bit to get this fight at some point. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's they're kind of both lucky that this fight is happening, given where Leon Edwards is right now and uh, versus where Jorge Masvidal is in their careers. Granted, they're both big time fighters and stuff like that. But Hori's coming off uh, this knockout loss. Leon's on a what nine or 10 fight win streak now, or unfinished, whatever you want to call it with the eye poke to Bilal mixed in there. Uh, yeah. So I'm glad this fight is happening. I think they both wanted to fight. And if you're Hori Masvidal, you got to put it on them right away and stay on them and just keep piecing them up and hit them with some powerful combos. Yeah. I think that's how you win the fight. If you're Hori. And to your point, I think that it's significant to mention that Jorge Masvidal can fight going forwards and backwards. You know, yeah. when he's the guy putting the pressure on versus the guy being pressure, I think he's a really good counter striker. I'm not so sure that you can say the same about Leon Edwards. I think Leon Edwards is incredible fighting forwards when he's putting the pressure on, when he's leading the dance. I think Leon Edwards yep. is second to none in that. Yep. Where the problem comes in is when Leon gets pressured and gets put on the back foot when he's uh, backtracking around the cage. I don't think that's... Um, I don't think that's his greatest skill. So again, like you said, Jorge, if he wants to win this fight, he's got to come out early with a lot of pressure and he's got to control the dance. Yeah. Uh, sticking on the, <coughs> excuse me, the topic of Jorge Masvidal. If Colby Covington pulls off the win and gets the uh, Walter Waite title from Kamara Usman and Jorge also wins that fight, will they fight for the title oh. next? I Yes, they will. You think so? Yeah. Oh, I think man. So. I don't know. I think you got to give Kamara a rematch. I, I don't I don't disagree with you. I think that you have to. I think you got to give him an immediate rematch. Oh, sorry, my my Alexa sure just went that. off. I'm um, totally sure about that, Alexa. <laughs> so I think the UFC has this problem where 
they can say, okay, we have Kamaru Usman, who is one of the greatest welterweights ever, right? Despite losing this fight to Colby Covington, in theory, because we're talking in the future. Um, and we have Colby Covington, who is like everything that we talked about. We talked for like 10 minutes about this earlier the, the show. He's right. polarizing. He moves the needle. He's got all these different views of people. And then we have Jorge Masvidal, who just has an impressive win over Leon. And, you know, he has this incredible back and forth with Kobe. They've been beefing for years. This is the fight that everyone wanted to see. And now you have an opportunity to make that for the welterweight title. I think Kobe versus Jorge is a much bigger fight than Kobe versus Usman 3. Um, really? I think in terms of pay-per-view sales, oh, God, yeah. You just oh, got to okay. think about it, man. Like, yeah. Usman doesn't sell nearly as many pay-per-views as Jorge. Like, when Jorge fought Usman the first time, it did 1.2. After that, Usman hasn't been able to sell anything like relatively close, like, given he's only had one fight right. since then. But you, you see my point. Like, that yeah. wasn't because yeah. Usman was on the cards, because Masal stepped in. Yeah. Um, Us- like, so Masvidal and Colby is such a big fight that I think the UFC would say, yeah, Usman, whatever. You can just fight the winner of this fight. Like, it doesn't really matter. But if you're looking at it from a pure sports standpoint, yeah, man, like, Usman deserves the rematch more than anybody does, right? Yeah. Like, who's done more in their division? Maybe. Maybe Stylebender, maybe John Jones at one yeah. time, but yeah. like you know, Kamar Usman would definitely deserve a rematch. I just am not convinced that they would do it, especially if Jorge Masvidal wins and his momentum goes rising back up. Like you got to remember, man. Like Jorge Masvidal was a massive, massive star just a, like over a year ago. Right. One point two million pay per view buys. Like yeah. that doesn't happen. That doesn't right. happen. That's I think That's Connor and Cowboy they did like 1.3. Right. So, you know, like that's the kind of star you're dealing with when Jorge Masvidal's hot. So I think the UFC would be absolutely in a rush to make that fight. If the opportunity presented itself, I not saying so it's the right thing to do, but I think right. it would happen. Yeah, I actually do agree with you now. You're saying that um, I, I think it, this actually really depends on what the fights look like. So if of course, yeah, Kamaro's coming off um, a very close decision or if they have a, I think if they have a fight that's anything similar to the first fight, it, it, it's it's gonna be it, it, now you're getting people's attention of like these guys fucking hate each other, and you can set up an incredible trilogy. I'm not so sure that people are as keen to see a Kamara Usman versus Jorge Masvidal three um, after Kamara's up two zero. But to your point, you're right that if Kamara Usman is, or, um, I'm sorry, Jorge Masvidal <clears throat> when he's hot, he's selling pay per views like nobody's business. Uh, it, but yeah, I think this really comes down to what do the fights look like? If it's um, a boring fight from Leon and Jorge and it's more of like a technical Jorge wins on points, I'm not so sure uh, people are as keen to see it as a rematch, um, as a trilogy fight between Colby and Camaro. So let's say the Jorge fight is boring. He gets the win though. Colby fight versus Camaro is incredible back and forth unbelievable like the first one i i think people would rather see that trilogy over the colby versus jorge um just uh, if they can book that rematch fast enough but to your point yes i think that um if jorge comes off with some crazy knockout colby beats kamara dethrones the champ um then yes i think that uh, jorge versus colby would probably more than likely make sense as the next fight and I think Kamara definitely gets the winner of that fight regardless. And then you're setting up two trilogy fights. There's really no winning. I mean, no losing there in theory. Uh, I, I, I would just rather see the trilogy with Colby rather than Jorge. And I think that's a great point. You made a great point. But I think the part that people are misunderstanding when we talk about stuff like this, like 
they're going to listen to us talk about this. Like, what the fuck are they talking about? Like, why would you ever put Colby versus Masvidal for the belt next? Like, you know that it should be Usman's fight. From the perspective of a hardcore fan, absolutely Masvidal should not be getting a sniff at the welterweight belt anytime soon, regardless if he beats Leon or not, because he had two losses in a row to the champ at a championship level. And of course, you know, Usman, like we were saying, is the, the dominant champion, like incredible for the welterweight division. And even he and Colby have beef and of, this would be two great fights now. So the trilogy would almost make too much sense, right? Mm-hmm. But we have to remember that we're not catering to the hardcore fans. We're catering to the biggest group of fans that yep. there is. And that is yep. casual fans. When you don't realize how big of a star Conor McGregor is until it's this fight week because his fans come out in droves because they don't watch any other UFC event. They only watch his right. fights. When Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz comes to the octagon and you don't realize how many fans they have until it's actually fight week because they come in droves for these guys. Like, people don't understand. I think it's one of those cases where we're too close to the trees to see the forest. Like, we don't have the the greatest perspective on who's actually the biggest stars and how much draw they actually do have because the casual fans aren't around as much. You don't see that big of a demand. But when the time is right, when there's an opportunity for Jorge Masvidal to take on Colby Covington, you'll see the demand. You'll see the demand. I guarantee it. Um, not saying that Colby's going to win or anything, but you know, if that were to happen, I guarantee you that they would make that fight. It's hmm. interesting. Um, speaking of next fights, next question: Who does Alexander Volkanovsky fight next? Uh, uh, short answer: Max Holloway. Max Holloway. <laughs> yeah. Next question. Uh, next <laughs> question. No. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think, uh, dude. I, I, I mean, why not Max? Right. I, I think it just makes sense. Assuming that he beats Yair Rodriguez. Right. right. Yeah. That's, this is all assuming. That he, yeah, that's true, actually. I didn't even think of that. But uh, I guess I'm just so confident in Max Holloway to just steamroll everyone they put in front of him right now. Uh, and I think a lot of people are. I think uh, – so if Max loses, though, fuck. I don't know. I guess Yair, right? Gotta no. Be. Stop. No. It's got to no be, right? No way. Just because you beat Max doesn't – uh, obviously, Matt, a win over Max is huge, right? But yeah. you know what Yair Rodriguez's last win was? I got to pull up the rankings real quick. Uh, was that Jeremy Stevens? Jeremy Stevens in 2019. Really? Has that win aged well at all? Has Jeremy Stevens won a fight since then? Well, Jeremy Stevens is the hardest hitting 145-er, so I don't know. No, he's the hardest shoving 145-er now. <laughs> yeah, the hardest shoving 145 These guys <laughs> yeah, shove so. people, they don't fucking move. They don't fucking fight the next day, apparently. Right. They don't even fucking fight. <laughs> fucking fight. So Jeremy I'm just Stevens looking at the is not a great That's what, win. At. That's what I'm looking at. I mean, Max always won. Well, he just beat Ortega. If Yair pulls off the win, I mean, in theory, this is kind of how it has to go, right? No, because then I think I think our friend Harry Cejudo steps in. Like, I don't think you think so. You listen. think he gets that over? Over I mean, Yair Rodriguez, I don't even disagree. Who's been I don't even disagree. UFC? Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, dude. Yair Rodriguez has been a nightmare for the UFC to deal with. Yeah. With the whole USADA thing, it wasn't even because he got a positive test that he was suspended. He's just he just missing. didn't. He just didn't say where he was in the app. That's the, all you have to do. So Daniel Cormier explained this: when you're in the USADA testing pool, there's an app on your phone where all you have to do is log on the app like once every few weeks and say your general location so that they can come find you if they have to test you randomly. That's right. all he all he had to do was say, "Oh, I'm in Mexico." Boom, done. Literally takes five seconds. He wouldn't do that. So things like that, things like him freaking out in Mexico after he obviously pokes Jeremy Stevens in the eye and causes the fight to go canceled. 
and then like kind of incites a riot almost like waving on the fans to throw stuff. Right. And then also just behind the scenes stuff with negotiations, he's been very hard to work with. I do not think that they are in any rush to give Yair Rodriguez a title shot. And I think honestly, if you couple all those things, it's hard not to argue that the UFC gave him this fight to set him up because they want this to be a showcase fight for Max Holloway. So now, okay, so now we're looking at something wild. Now we're looking at something crazy. Because if Yair beats Max Holloway, right? Yep. And Henry Cejudo doesn't want to fight. And then by some miracle, they don't give Yair this fight because it's just what lines up. Unfortunately, this is what makes sense for the, like, unfortunately for the UFC, I should say, this is just what makes sense because he's beaten Max twice. Max will be coming off a loss. Ortega's already been beaten by Volk. Uh, then if you want to go to the Korean Zombie, he lost to Brian Ortega. He's coming off a loss. Uh, and then next, this is crazy, but it's a fucking one and a, I mean, there's a 1% chance this happened. If Calvin Cater can win his fight, then is he the next for a title shot? I think Calvin Cater would be, I think Calvin Cater and Yair Rodriguez would then fight. I don't oh. think that they would be, I don't think they would put Calvin over Yair because. Right. That's what I'm saying. Of, I just, you got to think about everything I just said about Yair, right? Like there's a yeah. million reasons why the UFC wouldn't want to give him a title shot. If you beat Max Holloway, it's kind of undeniable that you're at least in that echelon, right? Right. And so I think they would make Calvin Cater versus Yair Rodriguez for the title eliminator. Um, and in the meantime, either Cejudo can fight or Volk can take time off because he was just in a war. Mm-hmm. Or something that I don't think people were talking about a lot because the UFC hasn't hit at it, but Volk himself has. He's a big boy, and I don't think he's going to be at 145 forever. Mm. And he's talked about wanting to go up and become double champ the first person to win the featherweight and lightweight title simultaneously since Conor McGregor in 2016. I think he wants to make a little bit of history. And I think Alex Wolkanovsky in that 155 shark tank is bananas. And I think it's great matchups all around. Oh, I don't know if he – that is so tough, dude. That is so tough. I, I, He's oh, practically a, a lightweight. Think about he how really big is. that fucking guy is. He really is. Uh, fuck, man. I, I think he would – I'm like thinking about it now. My brain is just a hamster's running a thousand miles. I'm like, I don't know. Can he do well? I don't think so. Yes. Do you I think? Do. I don't know. Do you think Volkanovski could beat Justin Gaethje? Yes. Do you? Would you? Would you pick him in that fight? Yes. Okay. Okay. Short <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I would. I think he's just. More I think technical. it's a great fight. I think he's just more technical. I think oh that Justin's God. a brawler. I think that. Uh, Volk would be able to control that as crazy as it sounds. I, I think, yeah, I think Volk just takes him down take... and just wrestles the shit out of him. But then again, Gaethje is a very good wrestler. So it's like, hmm. Gaethje is a very good defensive wrestler, especially in Volk's a smaller guy. Um, hmm. I think it's a fascinating matchup, but I think Gaethje's kind of, the reason I asked that is because Gaethje's kind of like the perennial number one contender guy outside of, of course, Dustin now is fighting for the belt. Um, so I think that Gaethje is like a really good yardstick for like, could he compete well? And both of us are kind of agreeing that we take Volkanovski in a matchup over Gaethje. Um, and of course, we're saying this now, November 6th at Madison Square Garden, we might have our opinions changed based on how, what he does to Michael Chandler. But as of right now, in this moment, coming off of that performance by Volkanovski, yeah, I think he can take it to Justin Gaethje. And I think that's a good sign that he'd be competitive in lightweight division, which means it wouldn't be too far-fetched to think that he could move up to lightweight instead of fighting a guy like Yair Rodriguez next if he beats Matt Holloway. Boy, 
Let's go real crazy. Just dump a couple of lines on Blom. Alexander Volkanovsky goes to welterweight and just takes on anybody <laughs> in there, dude. Because he was like 200 and what, 30 pounds at one point in his career? Or like yeah, when he played rugby. When he or played something. rugby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I say he goes up and fights Francis. Stop. <laughs> he can go. <laughs> I mean, in theory, right? He could make weight for like any division in the UFC <laughs> like, if you really wanted to. It seems I that mean, way. anyone can make weight. If, if, like, they, could, Francis can cannot get- make weight. Featherweight. Well, I mean, like if you're moving up, anyone can just get heavier. Like it yeah, doesn't mean right. that. But I'm saying but he, the thing is, he like, played a rugby. Like he wasn't an athlete. He wasn't yeah. 230 of fat. Like he was 230 of fucking probably pure fucking muscle. Just some brick shit out. I'm just picturing little think... ass fucking Volk like running around the heavyweight division, <laughs> holding on to legs. I think he's like <laughs> five foot seven. Like I, I know. I mean, there's some big boys <laughs> in rugby, so it's like if you just play, especially in Australia, dude, they take that shit so serious there. I think Honestly, this is all satirical, but yes, it's uh, definitely. I think it's important to reiterate. I think once he goes to one seventy, he faces a bunch of touch, tough matchups. Yeah, right? uh, but know. yeah, I mean, back to the question: Who does he fight next? I I have to say Max Holloway. I think Max gets this. I think he gets the win over Yair, and then I, I think it's really he's facing the winner of Yair versus Max. I think that's what's going to end up happening, um, if not Cejudo. Yeah, if not Cejudo. I think that a lot of times they'll make these one uh, number one contender fights for um, in, in each division, like this will happen. Like, for instance, like this is a title eliminator, Max versus Yair. But if one guy wins, it doesn't necessarily mean that they get the title shot. Like, it's, it's always, it's very mm. rare to get one that's like, okay, no matter who wins, fights for the belt next. So I think this is just like one of those cases. And I think that Max Holloway, if he loses this fight, I don't, I don't think they give it to Yair Rodriguez, honestly, for the next title shot, for all those reasons that I listed. And I think that Cejudo at that point is more likely to get it. But I think that in the reality that he does win this fight against Max Holloway, then he fights um, like somebody else for a title eliminator. Like you mentioned, Calvin Cater. Yeah, maybe. Fuck, man. Oh, that's so interesting because then it's like, now we have Yair, we could have a rematch with him and Korean Zombie for a title yes. eliminator. That would be fantastic. Uh Maybe him versus Brian Ortega. Oh, I mean, wait, no. They would have Yair versus Korean Zombie for number one contender. That's a sick fight for a rematch. A fight. And the other rematch they have on the same card, Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega. Oh, oh. good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, now we're just getting fucking, this is just dream cards at this point. This is something you make in a video game, but I mean, it could, I mean, who knows, dude. Theoretically, I'm not saying it happens on the same card necessarily, but those matchups are not too unrealistic. No, assuming no, they're that not Max Holloway loses this fight. They're not at all. So, yeah, I, I think either way, man, like the UFC is kind of looking at this 145 division and saying, like, even if Max Holloway loses, man, like, we're going to have some sick fights no matter what, just because this division is the shark tank. So, um, in short, I think Volkanovsky's next fight is Max Holloway. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I agree. Uh, we got two questions left. We're going to take a real quick pause because uh, I'm going to piss my pants. So we'll be right back. Okay. One. Woo. All right. We're back. We're back. We're feeling good. Um, two more questions left here. And this pertains to what we were just talking about. So if this matchup does happen, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Henry Cejudo, who wins this fight? Oh, man. Tough. I mean, it's tough. It's, it's especially hard when you consider it like, so who does a former flyweight, uh, then Bantamweight had two fights there. 
and retired. Like, I don't know if he, if he has the size, to be honest, to deal with Volkanovsky, who is a massive featherweight, essentially a lightweight. So Henry Cejudo, I think, is best suited at 135. Yeah. And, you know, I think that he does have a unique style to present some different kind of problems for Volkanovsky. But I'm not really – nothing that I've seen has made me so confident to say that Cejudo can win this fight. And I think that it's hard to say that, especially when you consider that he should be the betting underdog. So I really don't know what Cejudo has for Volkanovski. I mean, maybe he can mix up with the wrestling, but who knows? He's so much smaller than Volkanovski, and Volkanovski's so strong. Um, and he's also a great grappler himself. Like, is he going to be able to pull up a submission? Like, Ortega wasn't even able to do that. So really, like, what's the, what's the route to victory for Cejudo in this fight? Because... It seems like on the feet, it's hard to dictate the pace against Volkanovski. He's so good at controlling the fight, leading the dance, all those good things. So, I mean, Cejudo's boxing has improved a little bit over the years. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things that he, he's talked about a lot is, you know, he, he stopped wrestling and then just slept in a boxing gym and just continuously perfected that craft. So maybe he has some advantages there, but even still, like, I think Volkanovski is going to be able to take his shots pretty well. And I think that he's proven to have better cardio than a guy like Henry Cejudo. I'm not saying Cejudo's got bad cardio, but who's going to have better cardio than Volkanovski? Like Max Holloway? Like now you're talking about like these kind of guys who are mm-hmm. in the upper echelons of divisions that are just, they're just heavier than Cejudo. So I, I think it's really hard to pick Cejudo in this. Yeah. I mean, especially with all the time off, uh, I think that plays a giant factor in it. And we've seen right. in the time that he's been gone, Volkanovski's been in some fucking wars and defended his title multiple times. Uh, ah, man, I, yeah, it's hard for me to pick Cejudo. I, I don't think that he – it's an exciting fight for sure. It's a fight I definitely want to see. It's just um, – yeah, I, I don't think I, – I, I don't think I can pick Cejudo in this fight. I think that uh, – I think it's just – it's too soon, and Volkanovski's too hot right now. I, I just think it's not a good fight for him to take as his first fight back. Um, but if he is going to come back and fight, I think he's going to need or he's going to want to do a fight like this. So, yeah, I have to go with Volkanovski. I think he's just too good right now. Right. And I really I'm trying my hardest to find something to pick Cejudo in this. Right. It's just hard. And I know I think last week I said something along the lines of, oh, like Cejudo has a chance in this fight. And of course, he does. Um, I wouldn't pick Cejudo to win this fight, of course. But I think. The best thing for Cejudo right now is I want to see him fight at 145, not for the title, to come back and say, all right, let's see how he looks this weight class. Let's yeah. see, yep. you know, do, do his skills and uh, his traits translate to this higher weight division? I think I'd be a lot more comfortable picking him. And I think the UFC also has these same kind of reservations about booking a title fight for Cejudo at 145 because I can, you can kind of tell in Dana's demeanor when he talks about these, these pressures that they do for the contender series during the week that Dana doesn't really like think that that fight is super competitive. Um, I think it'd be smart for Cejudo to take a fight at 145, you know, pro- like a number one contender type fight, like against Yair, if he won or like, you know, zombie or Qatar, or any of these guys that we were just talking about, um, you know, prove people wrong, prove like, no, like at this division, like I am a man, like I can't compete with these guys at the top and I can challenge for the title. So I think that's the best route for Cejudo right now, but, Right now, coming off the couch after two years, or actually just one year, excuse me, um, 
to a new weight division you've never fought before against one of the best to ever do it at 145, it, it's a hard sell for me. Yeah. But I, all that being said, man, I do want to see that fight because I think Henry Sudo deserves the opportunity. I think yeah. it'd be an interesting buildup, and I think the fans kind of want to see it too. So I, I think so. the best thing is that is to have one more fight at 145 and then fight for the title. Yeah. Uh, we have a final question here before we wrap up the episode. Uh, who is going to win the lightweight title fight between Dustin Poirier and um, Charles Oliveira? Oh, this wasn't even in the notes. I didn't oh, see this, this one. Brand new. This was added live. Oh, awesome. We're a live show now. Um, show. Damn. I mean, so close. It is so close. It's, we we it's talked so about it. Much. Like to we talked about it on here too. Like it's just. I don't know, John. What, what we'll get to it next episode. No, I'm just oh, <laughs> it, yeah. There's just so much to this fight, man. So much. Ah, oh, I don't even know. I really don't even know where to start. Okay, I think a, a big thing that people are talking about in this in this fight is that uh, Oliveira has got incredible jujitsu, and you know, although no. doesn't pour, he's a black belt himself. He's battle tested and all those great things through the UFC in terms of jujitsu. Um, people think that that's an advantage for Oliveira. I think it's very important to distinguish Oliveira's offensive jujitsu is incredible, um, as is Dustin Poirier's. I'm not as convinced, and I shouldn't say this at like I need to see this, but I'm, I've heard other people say this because I'm not as well equipped to the grappling language that Dustin Poirier's defensive grappling, his defensive jujitsu, his ability to get out of chokes and out of bad positions, I don't think that is as proven. So I think that if they're just if it's a straight grappling fight, I think that's a huge advantage for Oliveira. Um, although Dustin Poirier has a better wrestling pedigree than Oliveira, people do say that Oliveira is much stronger than you think he would be, just because he looks like a scrawny guy who was a former featherweight coming up to lightweight. He's a very very strong guy in the clinch and grappling situations. Man, if you look at this fight on the feet, though, this is where it gets interesting. This is where a lot of people have trouble picking. Because Charles Oliveira is not as well of a polished boxer as Dustin Poirier. I think Dustin Poirier in his last couple of performances has proven to people he is one of, if not the best boxer in the UFC. I know that term has been kind of coined by Max Holloway. Um, but look at what he did to Connor, man. Look how he survived against Dan Hooker. Look how hard he throws his combinations. His combinations, when he got someone hurt against the fence, he'll throw like 20 punches in a row, and like yeah. all hooks, uppercuts, all with fight ending intention. I don't. And then we've seen, of course, Oliveira fight through that adversity against Chandler, but I don't know if he gets late into the rounds. I don't know if Oliveira's going to be able to hold up against uh, Dustin Poirier because we know Poirier is no slouch and you're not going to be able to finish him early on. Um, it's, it's just a really tough fight to pick, but I think, gun to my head, I got to go Poirier by either late stoppage or by decision. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I think... Hmm, I have to really think about this. It's... I, I don't know because we saw what he did to Chandler, and I'm like, fuck, I didn't know that Charles Oliveira could do something like that. Like, especially and what's being important about too. that, yeah, and what's important about that is early in his career, this was a thing that people criticized him for. That people said, oh, he took the easy way out of fights, he gave up on himself, you know, he didn't make weight. And so people said that he was a quitter and all these kind of things. For him to have a performance like that against Michael Chandler shows you the improvement, the change, and the demeanor of Charles Oliveira. So the confidence is built up too, of course, winning the belt now. So he's a much different fighter than people think that he is. And we're going to find out if he's a quitter or not when he goes against us in Porter. I don't think he is, but um, if a guy's going to test you, test your will to be in there, it's Dustin Poirier. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I absolutely agree. 
Um, I think Dustin's hot right now. I think he's coming off some uh, – I mean, he's coming off uh, whatever you want to call it against Connor, the broken leg. But before that, he's coming off a knockout win over Connor. So it's like – And he just uh, – well, he 10 aided Connor, so it's a win. Right. I mean, right. like, it's – I mean, I don't know. I mean, of course, anything can happen in the fight. But, man, that, that fight's not going Connor's way. Like, you, you see the momentum. You see the 10-8 round that he just had. Yeah. People who are willing to diminish that, that victory, it, it's kind of ridiculous to me. Of course, you know, the freak injury is, you know, that's not how you want to end it. It's not a clean ending, but it's kind of the same thing when I think about Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz, although that's a longer, more sustainable beating. Over, over three rounds, it gets stopped by a cut. You know, we, we kind of know how that story was going to end. I hate to say it, but we, we kind yeah. of did know how that was going to end. So I think it's important to distinguish that. Sorry for interrupting. Go right ahead. No, you're good. Um, yeah, gun to my head, too. I think I take Dustin Poirier by TKO. Uh, I I would say somewhere in the later rounds, fourth, maybe fifth, even. Um, I just think he's got too much willpower right now, as well as com- combined with his skill and his momentum. Uh, granted that Charles Oliveira has a lot of momentum as well, but I think it's gonna be a fucking unbelievable fight. And I, I yeah, I think Dustin Poirier wins by TKO. Um, uh, it's such a good fight though. It's so close. It's like I could easily talk myself out of it too. You know. No, I can't. I'm kind of doing that to myself now because I think about the improvements that Charles Oliveira himself has made on the feet. Think about how much more dynamic he's gotten with his kicks, his like his jumping switch kick, his deep uh, kick to the body, his his um, you know, the crane kicks, of course, the front kicks, everything he's done. He's got really good oblique kicks and leg kicks. He's really, really good at mixing up his kicking game, which has been able. Um, which is giving the ability to keep guys off of them. If you look back at that Kevin Lee fight, the last fight before the sports world shut down for a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Charles Oliveira has a lot of tools in his toolbox to keep this interesting on the feet and to keep Dustin Poirier away from him. So that's why I'm a little hesitant to make that call for sure that Poirier would get the finish. But, you know, I could easily see him, you know, catching Poirier with something, you know, that he's not expecting on the feet, especially with those kicks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's just going to be an insane back-and-forth fight. I think that Dustin gets it done. That's the only way I can really wrap it up and think about it, you know? Kind of a cop Sorry, what did you say? I said I just think it's going to be a, an unbelievable fight that I think Dustin wins by TKO. It's the only way I can really think about it like and make a decision without having to no, crazy overanalyze it. Yeah, no, and also I'm not the technical – fight breakdown mind that some people seem to think that people who talk about MMA are, I am not an expert in this stuff at all. I'm simply um, conversational in the language of fighting. Right. Right. I think I'm pretty much in the same boat. And I, if I ever claim to be an expert, call me on it because I am not. (laughs) All right. uh, We're going to get here wrapping up the show. We'll do the same thing. We do every show. We talk about the, uh, or I should say we um, read off what's coming up next um so our next fight night is going to be this weekend ufc fight night costa versus vittori that is saturday october 23rd and that is a day card so the prelims will start at 1 p.m on espn plus main card starts at 4 p.m first fight on the preliminary card we have a bantamweight match between aaron phillips and jonathan martinez followed by women's strawweight livia renata souza versus rando marcos Flyweight Jeff Molina versus Daniel Lacarna. Lightweight, we have Kamaworthy versus Jai Herbert. 
Jai Herbert, excuse me, middleweight Jamie Pickett versus Loreno Strapoli, women's strawweight Tabatha Ritchie versus Maria Oliveira, lightweight Alan Patrick versus Mason Jones, middleweight we have Parchin Young versus Gregory Rodriguez, and on to the main card, our first fight of the main card, a light heavyweight matchup between Nikolay. Holy jumping. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm going to try to do this one. Negir Moreno. Negir Moreno? Negir Moreno? That sounds right. Versus E.K. Villanueva. Welterweight Francisco Trinaldo versus Dwight Grant. Featherweight Alex Casares versus Choi Sung Woo. Women's bantamweight Jessica Rose Clark versus Jocelyn Edwards. And a lightweight matchup between Grant Dawson and Rick Lynn is your co-main event. And, of course, your main event middleweight matchup, 13-1 and oh, Paula Costa versus Marvin Vittori, 17-5 and 1. So, again, prelims start at 1 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. This is from the UFC Apex Center in Las Vegas. And the main event starts at 4 p.m. Um, Theo, why don't you plug your stuff like you do, and then we will wrap up the episode. A little bit different again this week. Um, like we mentioned last week, I'm going to New York for November 6th for UFC 268. So, of course, on all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, uh, severemma.com. Uh, it's severemma on all social medias, including YouTube. So you can find us doing event coverage there for things like Media Day, uh, weigh-ins. We're going to be doing post-fight reactions, live re- results. So check out that stuff. But also, John, I wrote my first event preview for severemma this week. I saw for that. the upcoming – Bellator 269 card in Moscow, Russia. That's headlined by MMA legend Fedor Emelianenko as he takes on Tim Johnson in a heavyweight bout. Um, so, yeah, if you guys want to see that, it's on my Twitter. That's at Lander underscore Theo. I changed it from Teddy nice. underscore Bender because I'm trying to be a little bit more professional. But um, it nice. is what it is. It is on severemma.com. You can check that out. Uh, yeah, because it's actually a pretty good card in Russia coming up this weekend. So, yeah, if you, if you care, go look at it. Give it a read or fuck off. That's what I say. Yeah, that's exactly what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) All right, awesome. So we will see you guys next Tuesday to uh, discuss Marvin Vittori versus Paulo Costa. And then after that, oh boy, oh boy, the following weekend, we have a, well, the first of a doubleheader of UFC main event or UFC pay-per-views. That will be Jan Blahovich versus Glover Teixeira. Again, that is the free card with the weird start time of 10.30 a.m. for the prelims and 2 p.m. for the main card on ESPN+. And, of course, UFC 268 is right after, so we got some good stuff coming up in the next few weeks. All right, everyone, that'll wrap it up, and we will talk to you next Tuesday. Peace.